I love your pastor. I know you did. The Lord did a good thing when he called this man to be pastor of this church, don't you think? I really do, and I praise God for that. And I'm, uh, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm humbled, actually, to be here. And uh, anytime you have an opportunity to, to speak to people about the one whom you love the most, that is a humbling experience. And so I'm grateful, and I am humble. And um, it's good to see some of you who are old friends. At this point in my life, every friend I have is old. And uh, I was reminding the Rupps, I wouldn't say that they're old, but we are the same age. I was reminding them, my father used to say that there are two things that will not hurt you, growing old and hard work. He said, now, thinking about either one of those will kill you. And uh, I, believe, I believe he was right about that. Thanks, though, Eric, for allowing me to come. It's a, it's a blessing to be here. And all of you who've worked so hard to uh, make this uh, such a success, and all the people who are involved, the tables, the displays, the missionary personnel who are here. I'm, uh, it's hard to follow Pat, isn't it? He has all his pictures and all his stories up there. I feel like, you know, a mafia kingpin in line in a Catholic church behind Mother Teresa. Really, I, I, I uh, you know, how do you, how do you top that? So um, it, is, it is a delight, uh, a real delight to be here. I'd like to take just a few moments to, uh, a very few moments really, to ask you this question. What, what, what do you believe? Honestly, each one of us here, what do you believe is the least that the Lord God would expect of each one of us as his children in terms of missions? What, what, are, the, what are the mission minimums, if I could use that phrase? The very least. You know, uh, sometimes uh, we get things twisted. You know, kids go to camp. They don't want to know. They don't want to know how long their shorts can be. They want to know how short their shorts can be, right? And they want to how much how much can get, we get away with. But, but this 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 is not for that purpose. What what do you think is the very least that you could do? What what would Jesus expect of you if you want to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? The minimum. I don't know if I'm communicating what's on my heart. Some, some, maybe this will help. Some years ago, uh, we decided to take 19, we have 25 grandkids, and we decided to take 19 of those grandkids to Disney World for 11 stinking days. <laughs> I do not know what, where my brain was. When, and what's worse, I got, I got all of my grandkids that were going to go into a room, and I, I, I said, all right, I want to tell you something. Your granddad, your granddad is going to ride every ride you ride as often as you ride it. That was really, I'm the, I am the Tower of Terror King. I think I have ridden, first two or three times I had my eyes closed in fear. The last, you know, 10 or 20 times I was asleep, I think, on the Tower of Terror. But, but when, you go, when you go to Disney, you know, if, if you're riding a, any kind of, a, of, a, of an amusement ride that has risk to it, they always have a, you know, a Mickey or a Minnie or a Pluto, you know, with a foot or an arm or hand out. Said to ride this ride. You know what I'm talking about? You've got to be this tall. And I looked over there, and there was my seven-year-old, Macy Jane. She was seven at the time. And she was piling up the hair on the top of her head. And, and now, now, she was not interested in being an adult. But she was only interested in being whatever you had to be to ride the ride. Now, that's the, you, you get where I'm going? We're talking about the, the, what is the least 
that God expects of each of us in this room if we are, if we are true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the minimums. You know, we don't have a rite of passage in our nation. Uh, and, you know, in an African tribe, well, you know, you chase down a lion, kill it, bring it back, eat it, now you're a man. Well, here the closest thing we have is getting your driver's license, right? And I remember uh, on my 16th birthday, I was determined to get my license. In fact, I got a car date. I asked a girl to go with me that night. I was that determined to get my license, license that hemmed me in. You know, I know you don't do that today. You know, that's why they call those happy days, I think. But anyway, you, I had this date, and I wasn't interested when I went down there at the police station. to get. I was not interested in being a race car driver. That was a couple weeks later. I just wanted to do whatever I had to do to get behind the wheel of that car. For, um, for a long time, I had the privilege, 20 years, privilege of pastoring men and women who were veterans because our church was located jam up next to a military base, which I was telling somebody earlier, I love that. And you have a lot of military in your church because it's so easy to pastor a church with a lot of military because in most churches, when you say, we're going to do this, this is, they say, why? But in a military church, they say, by when? And, and I, that is a much better way to operate, I think. You know, we understand the mission. We understand authority. This is the way we're going to do it. And that's why things get accomplished in churches like that. Well, anyway, I preached to some people on Sunday mornings who uh, lied about their age to get into the military back during the Korean conflict, you know, and a little bit earlier. And they weren't interested in being heroes. They just were interested in doing whatever you had to do to get where the action was. Now, do you get what I'm talking about? We're talking about minimums. What is the very least that God would expect of you or of me if I profess to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I want to read you a passage of Scripture. Now, here's here's what happens when, when we read the Scripture. Aren't you glad we have this Word of God, this revelation, this holy and errant Word of God? If, if I wanted to nurture you with an orange, let's say, uh, I wouldn't just walk up to you and jam it down your throat. I would, I would take the rind of that orange back. Now think of the context. Sometimes we say context is king. I would take the rind of that orange back. And there in the case of an orange, you know, you would recognize it. It's pretty neatly divided in sections. And so we'd let those sections fall apart. And you would be nurtured you know, a bite at a time. Well, that's what we're going to do uh, tonight, just for a moment, and then tomorrow morning as we look at the heart of a missionary, and then on Sunday morning as we look at a missionary who almost wasn't, and uh, we'll be thinking about our heart, okay? So here is the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God. This is about Jesus in His earthly ministry. I'm reading from the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, okay? Jesus was going about, this is His ministry, through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He, he had power over everything, okay? Now listen to this. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. That's an interesting word. We get our English word spleen from that. It's a, it meant it was gut-wrenching what he saw. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I mean, that's just a statement of fact. The harvest is plentiful, 
It's not the problem with the harvest, the problem is with the help. The workers are few. So here's the answer. Therefore, he said, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Let's just ask the Lord to open our eyes to this, okay? Father, open our eyes to the truths that are contained in this, Lord, as we, as we peel it back, let it fall apart for us, and we see within it those things that would, if we're to follow you, uh, would, be, would be the very minimal that you expect of each one of us seated here in this room. And there's enough of us in this room, Lord, to change not only our homes, each home represented here, but to change our block and our community and this city and to change the world. There are more people here than were gathered together to pray uh, on the day of Pentecost. So, Lord, we know that there is incredible potential within this very group if we will simply embrace what you say to our hearts in these next few moments and invite you to move in power by your spirit through our lives. And I pray these things, Jesus, and you're wonderful and you're holy and you're matchless and you're saving name. Amen. So what are they? What are the minimums, okay? And I'm just going to take a few moments. I mean, you'd be surprised how few moments I take. But you, in fact, uh, I, I want you to remember everything that you hear this evening, okay, or as much of it as you can. What are the minimums? All right, here, here's what I think. I think by looking at this passive scripture, if you want to be like Jesus, first of all, he would expect you to see something. That's right, S-E-E, to see something. Notice what it says, and seeing the multitudes. Now, what did Jesus see about the multitudes? The scripture says he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited. So first of all, we know these were desperate people. These two words, if you put them together, they mean they were pushed to the point of exhaustion and ready to collapse. That word ripto means we're just ready to fall down, okay? So these were desperate people. Have you ever seen desperate people? You all, this church has been so good to help with the Palong people. You know Greg and Sarah Mann who work with IMB. Okay, well, Sarah's my daughter, all right? Greg is my stinking son-in-law. And so at any rate, you know them and you have helped more than any church I know about it. I'm here to say thank you. But, but we had, Sarah and Greg worked there in, uh, uh, in Myanmar and among the Palong and in Thailand. One day Greg said to me, Dad, I want to I take you on a, on, a, on a boat ride. And he said, I want to show you something. So we got in this boat, went about 30 miles out into Lake Inlay. Some of you all have been out there. And um, there was this floating factory I thought, why in the world would you want a factory out in the middle of a lake? And, and I said, ask him. He said, you're going to see. So we got off of the, off the boat, tied the boat, got off, walked in. And here were all the employees there on the floor. They were hard at work. Children. Seven, eight, nine, ten years of age. Trapped. There's no way in the world they could jump off that boat and swim ashore. It took us 30 minutes to get there in a, in a motorboat. They were rolling cigarettes, and this man was saying, hurry, hurry. I looked at this little girl who couldn't have been more than eight years of age, and she looked at me, and there was a look of absolute fear, paralyzing fear. Now, you think these are, these are the kids that are in the nursery right now or working in the children's ministry or are going to be in church Sunday like your grandkids, trapped there. Now, it's really a picture of, of lost people. They are desperate 
And by the way, they're also dead. We know that the lost are dead in their trespasses and sins. But here it says they are like sheep without a shepherd. Well, domestic sheep without a shepherd are dead. They cannot live with that shepherd. They, they cannot smell water, for instance. They can die 100 yards from water, die of thirst. They don't even know how to get together. You never saw a headline that said, uh, rogue flock of wild sheep destroy village. It doesn't happen. That, the sheep, sheep scatter when, and they're, they're prey. And so these, when Jesus saw these people, he saw them as desperate. He saw them as dead. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Our, um, our middle daughter, Amy and her husband, were missionaries for 12 years in Cambodia. And she was walking down the street one day, and she heard this screaming, and she, she went behind a house, as, if you would call it a house, and there was a, a tin box like, a, like an outhouse. I'm looking at two guys who would know what an outhouse is. Okay, so, so we're that, we remember that, right? So it, it, just, it, it was made out of, out of corrugated metal, one slab on each side and a slab for the top. Now, I can get to be 120 degrees in the shade. So here's this box, and it's, it's rocking, and they're screaming on me inside of it. And my daughter pulled back the door, and inside that box, chained to a board that was her bed, was an 11-year-old girl. Her mother said she had a monkey demon. That was her life. I mean, that was her future. She was dead for all practical purposes. She was a dead girl. My daughter pled with her mother, please, let me take her for it. Her mother finally relented, and the doctor said, she's got a very mild form of epilepsy. I mean, a couple of pills a week, we can solve this thing. You say, that is such a great story. No, the, the mother demanded that that girl be brought home. And unless things have changed, she's a few years older, but she's still in that box. Just like a lost person, dead, trapped, a slave to sin. And Jesus wants you and me. That's the least you can do. He at least wants you to take a look at this world around you, to see something. But he also wants you to feel something. Notice what the Scripture says. He felt compassion for them. I mentioned a while ago that this is an interesting word. It means gut-wrenching. I mean, it, it has, first of all, it has a feeling to it. There's an emotional feeling to this, all right? Um, we, we are ruined in, in our culture, unless I am mistaken, here's what's going to happen tonight with many people right here. You're going to go home, and you're going to have to watch the news because you want to see if the weather moved over an inch on the on board like it always does. And you're going to watch the news. You're going to see where all the big bad things have happened in the world. You're going to hear all of the critics. You're going to read about all the tragedies. You're going to top it off with the sports and weather and go to sleep, sound asleep. won't bother you a bit in the world what you saw in the news anymore than it did last night or the night before or the night before that or the night before that. We have just learned to look at things like this and not to be moved. The Lord at least expects you and me to be moved. He, he felt com compassion. It was gut-wrenching. This was going to take him to the cross. And there was a force to it. I mean, he had to do something about it. Um, in, in 1994, there was a, 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 a South African photojournalist who took a picture in, 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 uh, up in the Sudan 
He won the Pulitzer Prize with it. His name was Kevin Carter. He won, he won the Pulitzer Prize with it. I think they can throw this up on the screen. This was the picture. Look at that. And now we've, we've, all just, we've all just had our meatloaf and potatoes and the chocolate cake and all this wonderful, wonderful food. This little girl was trying to make it to a feeding station. It was about 150 feet uh, yards away from where she was right there. She was one of dozens. She couldn't stand. Her little legs would not allow her to stand. And so she would crawl on, and then she would sit up and take a deep breath, and then she would fall back over in the sand and try to crawl some more. The vult, you cannot see this, but the vulture behind her is larger than the girl, and it's taking every step with her, waiting for her to die so it can pray on her flesh. Kevin Carter spent about 30 minutes taking this picture. He, 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 he waited for the vulture to spread its wings, but it, but it never would. He snapped the picture, sent it, it went around the world. He won the Pulitzer Prize with this picture. Three months later, Kevin Carter took his own life. Won the Pulitzer Prize. You take your life? Now, we don't know. We, there, the psychology behind that is something that I don't even want to dabble in right here. But people kept saying, why would he do that? We really don't know, except to say that um, before he did that, on more than one occasion, people would say, uh, they said, we got one question. Kevin, tell us about this. What about the girl? And he would say, well, I, I don't know. You say, how could he do that? Well, what's the Lord going to say to you? And he's, you know, what about that neighbor? I mean, you lived next to that guy for 15 years. Did you have any idea whether he's going to heaven or hell? I mean, you mowed, I started to say you mowed his lawn, you raked his rocks, you... Uh, you know, you, you took a cake to them. and they, did, did you ever challenge him with the gospel? What about, what about that friend at work? I mean, what about this obligation that I left with you to leave everyone with eternity in view? At least that. What about that? What about that? So the Lord expects us, if we want to do, we call ourselves followers of Jesus. Here's Jesus. Let's follow him. He saw something. He felt something. And I think also there's something that the Lord wants us to know. He said, look, let, let me just put this piece of information out there for you. The harvest is plentiful. The, it's the laborers. The problem's not the harvest. The problem's the help. It's the laborers who are few. We get our uh, word uh, oligarchy, ruled by a few. It's, it's, a, it's, it's puny is what it means. Compared to the harvest, the laborers are puny. The, the people who are actually working in some way, going, letting go, helping go, praying for those who go, small. Big, big world. They're, they're all right at, I checked this afternoon, they're right at 7.5 billion people on the globe. Now, that, that's really amazing because it took till 1820 to reach the first billion. But since 1820, we've been on this we, we, the population has been growing. You know, it's hard to comprehend a billion. Um, if you wanted to count to a billion, it would take you 37 years at one number a second. That's one billion. So there's seven and a half 
billion people on this globe. Every one of them is going to be alive a million years from now, a billion years from now, in heaven or in hell. Now, among this 7.5 billion people, um, there are about 1.3 billion who are more, actually, who say that they are Christians. Um, but a lot of people say they're Christians. So, so let's look at it realistically. There are about 933 million true evangelicals. That's you. The, the, the dividing point between evangelicals and everybody else is what we call the sufficiency of Christ. Salvation comes by the grace of God through faith in Christ plus nothing. And so let's say that there are 933 million true evangelicals, not, not even a billion right now, among 7.5 billion people on this globe. The problem is not the harvest. The problem is the help. Of that, so few of those care a flip. They don't care for their neighbor much. It's hard. They They don't care for their city. They don't care for their state. Oh, if you ask them, they'll tell you they care. They'll nod their head. They endorse. It's a good thing. Missions is is a good thing. But if you look at their checkbook, it must not be too much for them. If you look at their prayer life, it must not be too much for them. If you look at their feet, if you hear them whine when their children and grandchildren go, it must not be too much too much for them. Let's just take Southern Baptist as an example. IMB is the largest of the evangelical mission organizations on, on, in the United States. Three, uh, there's 3,000 some odd uh, fully supported personnel in 143 countries. And, and I, could, you know, I could give all these numbers that will make you think we're doing just such a great work, which we're just you know, working like sled dogs, I'll be honest with you. We're like a stump full of termites, but like, like AMG. I mean, we're all in this thing together. We're all working very hard. But IMB, it's a Southern Baptist organization. All right, there's 17 million, uh, let's say 16 million Southern Baptists, less than three one-hundredths of one percent of our Southern Baptist populations on the mission field. Less than three one-hundredths. That's .03, less than three percent. See, the problem is not the harvest. The problem's the help. The, the harvest is plentiful. It's, it's the laborers who are few. So the Lord wants us to see something. He wants us to feel something. He wants us to know something. This is pretty obvious here. And he also, it makes it very clear, that he wants us to do something. In fact, he, he tells us, he exhorts us, he, he commands us. He says what? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. So, so there are a couple of things that, that he mentions here. First of all, he says pray, and it's an interesting word that's used here. It's not talking about, you know, asking the blessings on all those whom it's our honor, duty, and privilege to pray for, or praying for all the missionaries whose birthdays are today. All of those are good things to say. Name one of those people. Talk about those people. Pray for them individually. But it means literally to wrap yourself into the act of prayer. It's this kind of praying. It's the kind of prayer that Hannah prayed, give me a son or I'll die. It's the kind of praying that, um, that Jesus prayed on the cross when he prayed for us as he died for us. It's the kind of prayer that Paul prayed when he said, I could wish myself accursed if it would mean that my fellow Jews would come to know Christ. 
that kind of praying. I mean, wrapping yourself into prayer. So we're to pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth. And that word is very interesting because it means literally to spew out. It would mean that from this church, there would be so many people going on a regular basis, you'd have to have your own travel agency. That would be a big department in this church, just to handle the people that are coming every week and processing tickets and getting the visas and getting the passports and taking care and seeing people off at the airport. You'd have a van that just did airport runs like hotels do. That's what he's talking about, that pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would spew out laborers to the harvest. So, so that's what this, as I understand it, that's what this weekend is about. I'm not going to labor this or belabor it. That's what this, this weekend is about. That somehow God would so do a work in your life, who so do a work in my heart, that, that if anybody looked at this church, what they would say about this church is, you cannot believe what is happening all over this world out of that church. You can't believe it. It's, it's small. It looks like the, the top of a volcano, but man, this thing is affecting the atmosphere of the globe. That, that you, God has strategically placed you here. Th- this is the moment for you to be effective. Don't, do not fall into the the trap of trying to do things that look successful, determined that by the grace of God through prayer, you will be effective. I mean, people who think about success think about numbers. People who are effective, they think about names. People who think about success are thinking about the way they look. People who want to be effective are thinking about reality. What, what, what's the truth? I mean, people who want to be successful think they influence more people than they do. People who want to be effective influence more people than they think they do. It's like I could take a stick of dynamite. Let's think of your church, your church. I'm just being, I'm leveling with you. You take your church, think of a stick of dynamite. I could take a stick of dynamite, walk out in your parking lot, light the fuse, throw it into the air. It would explode what? Successfully. Heat, light, noise, air, that wonderful smell of cordite, which hunters love, perfume. And, and yet with the wind that's blowing right now, you could come back five minutes from now and never knew that took place. But... Think of this church, strategically located. You take the same stick of dynamite, think same congregation. You go to a rock quarry, you find a seam, you strategically place that dynamite in that seam, light that fuse, and you have changed the landscape of the world forever. And that's what the Lord is saying here. He's saying, throw yourself, bind yourself up into this prayer. He's the Lord of the harvest. Make it your prayer. Lord, send forth laborers. Help us to to actually be what we say we are. We say we are Christians. We are followers of Christ. The minimums are at least to see something and to feel something and to know something, but to do something about it. And that's what this week is in challenging us to do. It will impact you. It will impact your family. It will impact your finances. It will impact the way you spend your time, whether it's on you or whether it's on the kingdom. So, some years ago, during, during the Second World War, um, there was this, uh, there, and you can read about this in history. Don't you love history? I mean, we, we, you can read about this guy in history. 
there was a Filipino school teacher whose name was Buenaventura Bello. He, 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 he's just a, just a very diminutive man. He loved teaching school. He did not know that the enemy had landed ashore on this island and were wrecking havoc on this island until he heard this pounding at his classroom door. All the students in the classroom looked up. The in walked two enemy soldiers with rifles, bayonets fixed. They got the kids out of the room first, and they walked over to him, prodded him with the bayonets, matter of historical fact, and they said, tear. over his desk he had a Filipino flag, and they said, tear that flag down or we will kill you. And he, he drew himself up to however high he was. He said, I will not do it. And he, they, they said, you, we're, we're not serious. They prodded him again. They cut him. They said, tear it down or we're going to kill you. He said, I will not do it. And everybody on that school compound heard the staccato gunfire as they just unloaded on this guy. And he just fell on the floor. They yanked the flag off the wall. They threw it over his body. It began to absorb the blood. A missionary found him. He wasn't dead yet. He gathered him up. He ran to a casualty clearing station that had been set up by U.S. forces. He, he just handed them to a medic who was there, not, not knowing what was going to happen, raced back into the foray. Well, well a couple of days later, he decided to go by and check on this guy, and he said, uh, he, he, there he is, lying on a cot. He's alive, all bandaged up. And he, uh, he goes, hey, Buenaventura Bello, tell me what happened. And he, he rolled over so he could, you know, as much as he could, and looked him in the eyes to tell him this is what happened, which is pretty much what I've, I've told you here. You can read about it. The missionary, and, and he was well-meaning, but, but he, said, he looked at him and he said, why, why didn't you... Just tear the stupid flag down. I mean, just tear it down. You almost lost your life. And Buenaventura Bello rolled over a little bit more so he could get the missionary right in his eyes. And he said, sir, there comes a time in the life of every man when he must prove what he believes by what he does. I believe that moment's come for this church. It's time to prove what you believe by what you do. Coalescing behind this great missions theme, the vision that God paints on your heart and saying, yes, I see it. I feel it. I know it. I will do it. I'll go. I'll help go. I'll let go. I'll pray for those who go when I hear of an interest meeting. I don't care if I can go. I may, never, I may not have a ghost of a chance to go, but I'm going to stop by and look in to see if there's somebody I can support as they go. Somehow, I'm going to be a part of this. It's time for us to prove what we believe by what we do. That's what this weekend is about, unless I'm very, very sadly mistaken and disappointed, for I would not be here. If I did not believe, that's what this weekend is about. Father in heaven, I pray you'll hold our feet to the fire. I pray that as we tomorrow morning look at the heart of a person who, who some of the most flaming missionaries never left their town, but yet, Lord, you use them to change the world. Lord, show us how this can happen.
Father, I pray that you'd speak to the heart of every member of this church's family. Oh, God, I pray we'd not just see and feel and know, but that we would do something about this great, great, tragic fact. All of these people who have eternal destinies, we enjoy so much. Oh, God, I pray we'd do something. That at the end of this week, when Sunday comes and goes, we'd be able to know how we've spent our hours. We'd be able to look at our pocketbook and know where we've spent our resources. We would have our heart, know what we had signed up to do, what we had determined was going to be our future. Oh, God, I pray that from this corner, you would spew out people who would change this world with the message of the gospel. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.